0: You know, personal training would be considered cyclical and so that just means that certain times of the year there's kind of highs and lows to how the business is going right so it's slower during sometimes and busier at other times and so banking was one of the ones where it's stable all year long.
1: This is Chan with The Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host Max Chan, now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Gabby, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Max, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Likewise, we talked offline. It's good to speak to another Torontonian, right? So like I speak to the people like other parts of Canada, US, UK, Australia. So it's always good to talk to someone in the same like city because we can relate to like different things in the area. Right. So.
0: Absolutely. I feel lucky to even meet somebody from Canada, let alone, you know, the same city. You get some Vancouver people sometimes, and I'm excited enough that there's another Canadian, but it's good to meet another local.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, do you have your own podcast show or is it more of you guesting?
0: Yeah, I do have my own podcast show actually. Thanks for asking. It's called Mindset Over Matter if you're willing to check it out.
1: And then like all the guests you get are like they're all over the place, right? So, every so often you get one from Toronto, but most of the time it's like all over the globe.
0: All over the globe. And that's awesome because I think that the more that we can interact with people from different parts of the world, the more we can learn from each other, right? So, it's really great.
1: Yeah, it also provides a different perspective that you may not get by uh, just talking to people in your area, right?
0: hundred percent, yeah.
1: So I wanted to bring on the podcast because my podcast is about helping people overcome common career challenges, whatever it may be. And one of the common career challenges is career transitioning from either a different role or a different industry. And from us talking offline, you've done multiple uh, pivots, so to speak. So. I want to spoil like the career trajectory that you've had. I would like for you to share it. So why don't you start off with like how you started your career off and then we can start going through your journey there.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I usually start with high school. So coming out of high school, I'm only child, so I don't have any older siblings, unfortunately, to kind of guide me on certain paths. And so I, I say that because I felt like I entered university life with very limited information on what was available out there. And so I definitely had... A little bit of that mindset of, you know, my options are basically to be a doctor, lawyer or a teacher uh, or an engineer maybe. And so that's what I decided to work towards just because I felt like those were my only options and I didn't really know what else was out there. So I started my university career with an acceptance into medical sciences, which turned out to be entirely not what I thought it would be. And so I did end up being one of those people that switched my undergraduate uh, focus a couple of times. So I switched from that into psychology in my second year and with a minor in French, just, and that I knew was just sort of a, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm going to just do what I'm interested in for a year and kind of figure it out after that. And then around the same time, of course, with extra university stress, I decided to hit the gym a little bit more often. And I met a lot of really cool people in the health industry, health and fitness industry. And so I decided to actually pursue that as uh, my education. So I finished my undergraduate degree with a degree in kinesiology where for, for folks that aren't from Canada, I'm learning that not everybody knows what that means. So it's a degree where (laughs) you learn about the human body and movement and I worked with or learned about sports injuries uh, and things like that. So I ended up working as a strength and conditioning coach for several years with that degree, which I loved. Uh, I loved that work for lots of different reasons, which we can get into. But uh, after doing that for about five or six years, I think, I was actually going to be moving out on my own and paying on all my own bills by myself. And um, my family, who had all the best intentions, said, you know, your income is not really stable because, you know, in the summertime, the gym's kind of slower, we're not doing as much personal training and things. And so your paycheck's not stable. So maybe look for something a little bit more steady. So uh, I actually ended up going into banking, which was the most stable thing we could think of. And so that transition was actually kind of fascinating. And the interview actually to get from one to the other was the longest uh, I've ever had, and actually the longest that the person interviewing me had ever had. So that was really a, a big learning experience. And then So I worked at the branch for uh, a couple of years, or a few years, actually, uh, working with the end client on a bunch of different things, opening bank accounts, doing mortgages and investments and loans. Uh, And then after that, I ended up moving specifically into the asset management division of the bank, so dealing specifically with investments only. Uh, And then now I'm actually in more of a strategy role within that same team, so it's been definitely a journey. And so I, I did a little bit of both you mentioned changing industries and also changing roles within an industry. So I'll leave it there for now as my recap.
1: So you were a personal trainer when you graduated, right? With your yeah. you know, degree in case technology?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: All right. So your parents were talking about like, in regards to, yeah, summer is a bit slow for the gym. Like I go to the gym regularly, right? And I see personal trainers there all the time. Do they get paid per client? Is not paid per hour, right?
0: It's paid per hour.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's per hour. Okay. So if there's less people booking personal training sessions, then you, your shifts that's start right. to dwindle, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. I'm always curious, like how that works, because like I'm assuming, like you notice that when you're new to a gym, the salesperson tries to sell you some like gym <laughs> training sessions, right? So I'm just curious, like yeah, how that's... all that goes about, whether it's like paid by client or paid by hourly, but yeah. you reveal like how that really works.
0: Yeah, it's hourly. And so, well, when you join a gym, they may even give you a couple of free sessions. So those ones are, we we also get paid for those. We get paid less, but we do get paid for those. And then after that, you're right, we would try to get clients to purchase a package of X amount of sessions. And then we do get paid per session. But a side note that I'll say for that is that it depends on how you're set up with your personal training business. Because if you're working out of a gym, they will of course take a cut of what you're charging and they take a pretty steep cut. So you're not seeing that entire amount for anybody who's paying for personal training sessions. You know, we're not seeing hundred percent of that, but yeah. And so, you know, first few weeks of January, very busy, everyone's real committed to (laughs) to their goals. And then that kind of slows down, especially as you get into the summertime.
1: Were you personal training like inside gym or were you more like a freelance?
0: Yeah, I actually did both. So I started, at the gym. And then I ended up uh, doing a little bit more of the, the freelance piece before moving over to banking.
1: Do you still have a passion for fitness? So do, do you have like, is it more of like a side hustle now or you scrap that part of your life entirely? Where obviously, I'm assuming you still like go to the gym in your spare time, but do you still have like a side hustle, a small client base on top of your asset management job?
0: Great question. So actually when I first moved into banking and I was at the branch, I had a really hard time letting go of the fitness industry because I just loved it so much. And I had clients that had been with me for a long time. And that was actually the freelancing that I did was I kept going with them. And I actually had a bit of an online coaching, fitness coaching business that I kept going while I was at the branch. But then after a certain amount of time, I did end up letting it go just because it was a little bit much. I ended up going back to school to complete a master's degree. So then it was just not enough time in the day for all of that.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And are, are you still doing it right now? Or is it just asset no, management?
0: not anymore? I'm just a, yeah, just in the asset management business now.
1: Yeah, like obviously, you, do you miss it, right? But you don't miss it enough that you were willing to like, at least do a side hustle with it?
0: Yeah, I just you know, what actually the most challenging part about it is having a place to to do it out of when you're doing it on your own, because gyms don't like when people come in and do their own personal training, especially if they have their own personal trainers, which I totally understand from a business perspective. And sometimes with some clients, it's hard to just do entirely online because I I actually did have to let go of some clients only because I didn't feel like they we had made enough progress for them to have proper form when they're doing things on their own and i didn't want them to hurt themselves if i wasn't around with them to help out so it's tough to kind of keep that going when you're kind of not allowed to be in the gym to help out your clients so it's kind of tough from that end
1: for sure so talking about the banking aspect now you said like your parents and yourself did some research in terms of like what jobs more stable like over the summertime because one of the main concerns is that as you know people go on vacation or they don't want to go in like a gym in the middle of summer. So again, that's when the hours dwindle and you're looking for another opportunity. Uh, so I'll walk us through how you did all that research and you said that banking is the right pivot.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it was a combination of things. So obviously, it's a well, in, I guess in banking terminology, it would be a, a non-cyclical business. and so all of, all that means is that you know personal training would be considered cyclical. and so that just means at certain times of the year there's kind of highs and lows to, to how the business is going, right? So it's slower during some times and busier in other times, which also means less money coming in certain times of the years and versus others. And so banking was one of the ones where it's stable all year long, right? And so you it's a salaried job, you've got a consistent paycheck. I was also looking for things like opportunity for growth because that was one of the things that was, despite my love of the fitness industry and the, my love for my clients, I was starting to notice that there was a bit of a ceiling in terms of what could be next. Uh, so at the time, there were, it, it seemed like the only way up, so to speak, from where I was to maybe open my own studio gym. But in the town I was living in, everybody was doing that. And it was just way too concentrated. And a lot of the smaller gyms that were trying to open up were also shutting down really quickly just because there were way too many of them. So it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of opportunity for growth. And I'm the kind of person who gets bored kind of quickly, you know, so I could see myself in doing a job for a few years. And then after that, I do need a challenge, I do need something new. So I was looking for that as well. And banking has a lot of that. If you think about banking, people just think sometimes about their banking from their perspective, right? So their bank account, their car loan, their mortgage, their credit card, and they think that's all there is to it. But honestly, you could probably work 200 years for a bank, which obviously is impossible. But if you did, you know, you still wouldn't run out of different types of jobs to do within there. So lots of variety, which was great. That's what I was looking for. And then also, it was an industry that you didn't necessarily have to go back to school for to get a certain education that would allow you to do that job. And so the reason I say that is because, you know, there there are definitely other types of jobs That are stable and there is room to grow. You know, I could be an engineer, I could be, you know, a teacher or something like that. But then I'd have to go back to school, and then so that would set me back at least four, five, six years uh, before I could actually go into that. So it seemed like a right fit. Plus, I had an interest in in money and business and things like that. So it it seemed like a decent fit for all of those things that I was looking for. And so I decided to apply.
1: You make a point in terms of like really researching the career trajectory of your chosen profession. Like for you, like once you became a personal trainer, like what was the next step? There there wasn't really no next step unless you decided to go on your own and start your own gym. And again, like sometimes people don't want to, it's one of those things like if you're like a personal trainer, you like personal training, that's a lot different than trying to run a business as a gym because you have a whole bunch of other skill sets. And some people might not be into that, they might just be into that one specific thing. And like for you, I'm assuming that you realized that was the only next move and that wasn't, really what you're interested in. And then that's how you did the research and got into banking. I'm assuming that's uh, how it all unfolded. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And in terms of moving into a different industry, there was the assumption that you had no banking experience prior uh, to going to banking. So how were you able to uh, get an interview when you don't have banking experience to begin with?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And it kind of ties into what you were saying about researching a job that you're interested in or researching you know, your future career, future jobs that you want to have. And so part of that for me was talking to people who are currently doing the job that I'm researching about. Right. And so I think that's I still to this day, I tell people that is one of the best ways that you can find out information about a job because you can read a job posting and sure, it'll list out the tasks that you're expected to do and the education, maybe or experience they're expected to have. But you're really not going to get a good sense of the day to day of things like, you know, what is the amount of pressure for deadlines or what is the team dynamic like or, you know, what does a day actually look like for you? Is it actually nine to five or is it nine to five on paper? But really, there's an expectation to work longer hours, which is fine for some people, but others who maybe have a family at home or something and they need something more or less flexible, whatever, right? These are good questions to be able to ask that you can only really find out from talking to somebody who's done it or who is doing it currently so i spoke with somebody who actually luckily for me at the time one of the other personal trainers his brother worked for a bank and so i opened up to him just about kind of what i was looking to do and so he said well why don't you at least have a phone call with him so i spoke with him and and so he was kind enough to give me a name of someone who i could apply to directly and so i submitted my application and to answer your question, I'm gonna share my story about an that interview that I had that was the I think it must have been over two hours, two hours and a half maybe of an interview, which is crazy. I mean, I don't think you usually would have interviews that are that long. And the branch manager actually told me afterwards once I got the job, he said, I was so stressed out. That was the longest interview I ever had to run in my life. And it was such an interesting experience because Because I had to explain to him, well, it was him and and actually uh, another manager. I had to explain to both of them why my experience in personal training was relevant to banking. And so to your question on how do you go into banking with zero experience? Well, the way that I tackled it was not necessarily about the tasks or the knowledge that I had to know from a product perspective, because i assumed that they would be they would have to train me on that anyway right every bank is different and they have different bank accounts and products and interest rates and whatever so they'd have to tell me all that stuff anyway but i thought more about what are the what's the type of person and the type of skills that would make a person in banking successful which is where you have to start thinking about what is it that they're actually doing day to day so from my conversation that i had with the person that was banking I learned that it's really about the people that you're interacting with. And so then I took that away and I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm sitting and I'm dealing with a client who maybe has a lot of debt or has, you know, a financial goal of some kind, or maybe they're a little bit nervous, a lot of people don't understand finances very well. And so they're kind of shy and scared. There are people that are legitimately scared to go to the bank and talk to somebody what type of person would I have to be to do well with that, right? And actually be somebody that they can talk to. So I realized I have to be personable. I have to be somebody who's willing to listen carefully, be non-judgmental, you know, be somebody who's kind of trustworthy and who's kind of on their side and be able to help them reach a goal. I'm... An old school paper and pen person so i was writing all of this out all of my thoughts that i was having and i kind of stepped back and i looked at it and i was like oh my gosh that's exactly what you need to be a good personal trainer too like i'm already doing that i have to be a person who is willing to listen and to be judgment free if somebody's you know maybe feeling like they're overweight or that they're not you know exactly where they want to be fitness wise they have a fitness goal right they might have some feelings of shame or some feelings of nervousness or something so I have to be, I'm already doing all of these things. I am that kind of person. In researching about the bank, I was able to kind of tie in, okay, here's the type of person that I am, the skills I think that you guys are looking for, for me to be successful. And here's how I think I would be able to apply that with the types of tasks that you are you would be expecting me to do. And so after two, two and a half hours and a, a very long conversation, you know, and, and it, it worked out for me. And, and I remember the manager had even asked me questions. Like he said to me very straightforwardly, he says, You know that we have hundreds of students that are coming out of a program that t- teaches them all kinds of stuff about banking. Like, why should I hire you? I was so stressed out. But because of the prep that I did for the interview and all of those things that I had thought about and all the research that I did, I think that really made a big difference. And the, the person that I had talked to, it made a really big difference for me to be able to make that switch.
1: So in regards to like how you got the interview, right? I'm a career coach. And one of the things I always talk about is like the benefits of networking, because you mm-hmm. were able to like, you know, someone brother that worked at the bank and then you were able to like get an informational interview and then trickle down to an actual interview. And then you're able to sell your transferable skills. Uh, right. So. One of the things that like, people tend to just want to cold apply and are afraid to talk to people. What's your advice in terms of like the networking aspect for people who are fearful of like reaching out to people to start a conversation and hopefully
0: lead to something greater? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that networking really makes or breaks your experience sometimes. And I actually think that there's a right and wrong way to do networking uh, as well, because I do think that there are people who, I mean, I've never heard this term before, but I'm just going to coin it now, that almost do something like cold networking, (laughs) right? Where they just sort of mass connect with people on LinkedIn, or they just sort of, I don't know, they don't do it very thoughtfully, right? They sort of collect people's information and then don't do anything with it. And they call it networking or something like that. You have to understand that what you're actually trying to do is establish a meaningful connection with an actual person that's on the other end of this interaction and your goal in a world where that person who, especially if it's an influential person or a, you know, a a hiring manager or something like that, they probably have a lot of people that are trying to network with them as well and you become part of their network. So I always try to advise people to ask very, thoughtful questions. First, give that person a reason to want to speak with you. Second, ask very thoughtful questions. So put yourself in the shoes of that person, put yourself in the shoes of their business, especially once you get to the interview as well, when they say, do you have any questions for us? Absolutely. Like a a common question I would ask is what's the, what's a current problem that your business is trying to solve? Or what do you think the next challenge is going to be? These are things that they're already thinking about. And I only came up with that question because I put myself in their shoes, right? So I want to be somebody who's Worthwhile to talk to. And also, a a sort of unconventional piece of advice that I give about networking is to try to be remembered for something non work related, right? Because it's great to ask good questions. I still stand by that and talk about work related things, but everybody can do that. And I think that when you think about how many people that person that you're talking to interacts with, It's easy to just become one out of a million people that they kind of had this sort of networking chat with. And so if you can connect with things like hobbies or, you know, anything that you might have in common outside of work talk, I think that also helps with them remembering you and then being willing to engage with you in the future again.
1: So once you got the job, what was your official job title in your first time at a bank?
0: As a financial advisor.
1: Okay. Financial advisor. Okay. So as a financial advisor, obviously it's a huge pivot from personal training. So what were some of the learning lessons or challenges that you had to overcome in terms of being able to be a good financial advisor when, again, you didn't have any uh, banking experience uh, to start off with?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So the main challenges I think were mainly product focused. So I didn't, you people would come in with questions, specific questions about their products. So what I mean is, what happens if I miss a mortgage payment or what is my interest rate on my loan or what happens? Like, just like little things that now to me seem just like a simple thing to answer. But at the time, I didn't really know. It's pretty basic, right? You don't know where to find information. You're brand new. So you're constantly asking questions and you feel a little bit lost, I think part of that problem was that they threw me in literally the busiest branch of the city. (laughs) And so they needed the support so much that they just were booking me appointments on my first day there. Somebody asked me to open a bank account and I learned a a couple of different types of lessons. So one was the product thing, I think was a a big challenge. But the second thing that I learned was actually I, I realized that I was a little bit naive maybe going into this job because I didn't realize how many people were actually a little bit maybe dishonest with their banking. So for instance, I opened up a bank account for somebody who, if I had known to ask the right questions, I actually would have refused to even open this bank account for this person because there was a comment on their profile that they had empty enveloped us a bunch of times before. And I didn't even know what that meant. So I sort of ignored it, which I maybe shouldn't have. But it turns out that you know this person was trying to deposit money at the ATM and they said, you know, hey, I deposited 500. They put in an empty envelope And we do actually release some amount of that money that they can then withdraw right away. So they're basically, you know, defrauding the bank and I open them a bank account. So, you know, you learn these kinds of lessons really quickly. I never did that again, that's for sure. But I think there was a little bit of a learning curve too, not to be so trusting and to make sure that I'm doing good due diligence when I'm dealing with clients at the bank.
1: I did that by accident when I was young. I think it's either high school or middle school. Uh, so I was trying to deposit $40, but I thought I had to type in the zeros for the cents. So I ended up writing, I deposited $4,000. <laughs> so that's what happened there. I think they fixed it. Again, I wasn't like honest this person mistake. who just threw the money right away. I just thought it was an honest mistake. Yeah. yeah, it was an honest mistake on my part. And then like they fixed up the balance once I took out money, like maybe a few days later. So Perfect. I was trying to defraud them. It was just like naive <laughs> on my side, but like, yeah. I, yeah. But you've learned that a lot of people are trying to game the bank and through experience, you're able to see like some of the uh, bad clients, so to speak.
0: Yeah, you just kind of learn things about people right along the way. And I think that probably happens in any industry. You know, you interact, especially when you interact with the public, right? You really get a whole range of personalities and, and things that come through the door. And so it's all a good experience. But yeah, it was definitely I remember that being part of my learning curve when I first started.
1: In terms of like transferable skills, whether it's personal training or banking as a financial advisor, both of them, you have to deal with people. So what are some like, common traits that you notice know when it comes to working with people in personal training and working with people as a financial advisor?
0: The first one that comes to mind is, well, there's two. One of them is that you're technically in sort of an advisory role in both of those jobs. You're advising people on how to work out better and eat, eat better and all that. And you're advising people on how to deal with their finances. And what I learned about people in both of those cases is that people don't really know what they really want or what they really need necessarily, which is why they usually come to somebody for advice, which is great. But people are also kind of stubborn. So they think they know what to do, but yet they turn to you for help. And it's kind of a little bit of this tense situation. As an example, I had a... (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I had a personal training client who said to me that she doesn't, she says, listen, I'm not going to change the way that I eat because I'm just not. And I don't want to sweat because I hate that, but I want to lose 40 pounds. So you have to help me. And I just didn't know what to say. (laughs) You know, like, you know, people come, they're a little bit stubborn, you know, so you kind of have to break through that a little bit and be calm and explain to them that it doesn't work that way. And so there's uh, a little bit of a barrier there sometimes. And the other thing that I remember learning about people is that uh, a lot of times I would say that anytime you're dealing with the public, this would be true. A lot of times, they they really just want to get whatever's on their mind off of their mind, so they just want to be heard. And if you can listen first, truly listen with no agenda, which is hard sometimes in a sales position, because in both of those cases, they were technically sales positions. It's hard to listen first, but if you listen and you don't approach them with sort of a pushy sales energy. They're way more likely to trust you, to listen to your advice because they've got everything off of their chest and now they feel like they've been heard and now they're ready to listen. So from a people managing perspective, not managing, but, you know, working with people perspective, those are two big things that I learned.
1: Yeah. One of the things that you talked about just now is everybody thinks like, oh, I can eat the same. I just need to go to the gym. But when it comes to losing weight, a lot of it has to do with nutrition. Like the gym is more secondary, but people think that they can eat the same thing and then um, right. just work out more and then they'll lose the weight. But obviously, as you know, from experience, that's not the case.
0: Yeah. They say abs are made in the kitchen, right? But unfortunately, most people are not with their personal trainer when they're in the kitchen. And so it takes a lot of more willpower to get that part right.
1: So you're talking about like how some people are afraid to like go to the bank or... Another example yeah. is like they're afraid to go to the dentist. Like, how do you like help open them up so they can give you the right information that you need in order to help them with their financial goals?
0: Oh, I would say that the non judgment piece really comes into play. And I guess another way of saying that would be to really just meet them where they are as a starting point, and then just taking little steps from there and trying not to overwhelm them. And one of the sort of, I guess, life hacks or tricks, it's not really a trick though, I hate to call it that, but one of the strategies maybe I could say that I used in banking especially, I would say, is to, I don't really know the official term for this, but to sort of mimic people's body language a little bit and also the language that they use, the vocabulary that they use. And so what I mean by that is, I've seen situations where a financial advisor is, who's very knowledgeable, of course, in their role, meets with a client who's maybe brand new, you know, they finally worked up the courage to come in and talk about their loan or whatever. And they're asking questions, however, they know how to, and the financial advisor tries to show off with a lot of big words, and a lot of complicated details and things like that. And really, that's just making the situation worse. And you can see that the client is just closing up even more because now they're feeling intimidated and now they're feeling completely not motivated to ever come back. So I don't think that's a way to build trust with a client. So what I would do instead is I would just keep it really simple, right? Again, making them or allowing them to speak first and being the person to listen, truly just listen and sit back and not say anything allowed me to hear and gauge where that person is at in terms of their comfort level, their level of understanding, their level of stress, even, right, sometimes I would even crack a few jokes, or I would try to level with them and say, Hey, yeah, I completely understand at one point in my life, I also when I was a student, maybe I had no idea how my student loan worked, you know, someone just told me to sign and I signed and whatever, I didn't know what to do next. And so that builds rapport. And I think that really helps in in any kind of case, right? With personal training as well. Start small, start where they are, and then slowly build from there.
1: So I want to move to the last part of your career pivot, which is asset management. So how did you get to that stage of your banking career?
0: Great question. So my experience at the branch was, I would say there was a steep learning curve, like I said, with all of the products and, and services and everything, because that role required you to be really a jack of all trades. You had to know a little bit about every part of banking. And then, you know, if there was a case where there was some complex needs from the client, you would then maybe send to an expert or something, but really whatever walks through the door, you have to be ready to answer. And so the benefit of that was I got some experience in a whole bunch of different parts of the bank and it helped me decide which ones were most interesting to me. And that's what allowed me to decide what I wanted to pursue further. And investments were by far the most interesting to me because I just find it fascinating to understand how the markets work, you know, the fixed income market, the um, stock markets, and definitely a thing that will never get boring, right? There's always exciting stuff happening in the markets. So that was good for me and just something that I found interesting to learn about. But also because from a client perspective, I had the most positive, some of my most positive experiences with clients were thanks to our investment conversations that we had. So as an example, I remember having a client in my office who came in crying, actually saying that she was never going to be able to retire. She was never going to be able to meet her grandchildren because they live somewhere far away. And she's net. she only has two weeks or one week off or something, probably two a year, not enough time to ever, you know, get there and spend time with them. She can't afford it. She'll have to work until she dies. All of these things that she was saying and, and bawling in my office. And again, after a lot of taking it easy, listening, you know, building rapport, whatever, we ended up having a serious conversation about where she was at financially. We made a plan and we made it manageable for her. And she came back one day And she actually cried again. But this time it was tears of joy because she said, I'm actually going to be able to retire. And I am I submitted my paperwork to retire at X age. And I just I wouldn't have been able to do it without our plan. So just really impactful. And I knew that by investing properly, financially, you're investing in yourself properly, you can really make a difference in somebody's life. So that's what made me want to pursue asset management. And then again though from a practical perspective on how i actually got there from the branch it took a lot of networking effort on my part it took a lot of proactive booking career chats coffee chats with anybody and everybody that i could come across you know I, if even if it was a conversation where at the end i decided that is absolutely not what i ever want to do uh, in my career at least i knew that now and i would ask them hey you know, uh, this was a great conversation. Is there anybody else you can think of that I could have a conversation with? And they 100% of the time said yes. And I just kept that ball rolling until I basically made it to people who were in the asset management division. And I kept that relationship going. And then eventually when it came to apply, I reached out to that person and I said, hey, what do you think? Help me out. Is there anyone else I can talk to? Would you support me for applying this? And they did. And it was a bit of an unconventional move from the branch to head office, after only a couple of years at at the branch, but it worked out really well and I couldn't be happier.
1: A lot of people try to, like, for example, let's say they want to work at corporate Apple, right? They want to start off at the store and then try to move up into corporate. And you start off at like the front end, which is working at a branch at a financial advisor, and then you're moving to head office. And the one thing that you mentioned was, even though you were an internal candidate, you still had to do a lot of networking. Basically, I think you had to do more than what you did before and do government personal training to banking people assume that if you're already inside the company, it becomes a lot easier because you're an internal candidate. But from your example, that's not, not necessarily true. You actually may have to do more just to help you stand out.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm so happy you said that Max, because I remember back at the branch when we were hiring, even for a branch position, I remember my branch manager saying to me and to, I think it was to our whole team because we were just kind of asking how the recruiting was going and whatever they said that internal applicants actually performed so much worse in interviews than external applicants because they felt like they had an unbeatable advantage for just because they were internal and when they were asked about you know it's okay so tell me about what you think this job is all about they had no idea they like just ridiculous because for anybody who's applying externally the, the very first thing you would do is look up the job and at least know what you're applying for right and so I 100% agree that just because you are an internal candidate, it doesn't mean that you should be any less prepared or that it takes any less research or anything to apply. And I actually think it's a good best practice to even just do this type of research about different roles, maybe not as intensely as I did, because I was actively trying to, to move into a different role. But even just casually, maybe once a quarter or a couple times a year, book a meeting with somebody that's in a totally different part of your company just to learn and see if there's something that would be of interest to you or to somebody that you know, right? Because another part of networking is that it, it doesn't always have to be you that benefits. You can provide value to other people by being the one that connects two people together, right? If you know someone who's hiring for X, you know, someone who's looking to apply for X, you can be that person. And now, You've done something nice for them, and they'll remember you, and you know it's, it's all great from there. So,
1: you make a point about the giving value, right? A lot of people don't want to network because they don't think that they're giving any value. They're the ones extracting a lot of information, and they don't believe that there's any value that they can offer because they're trying to get an opportunity while this person is willing to listen to give them information that they need. So again, like you've already provided an example of like, you could be the connector, but what other ways can you provide value to someone who's willing to uh, give their time up uh, to talk to you about uh, potential opportunities in their uh, department or team?
0: I think that there's nothing wrong in actually asking them how you could provide value. You know, it's a fair question to ask them. It really depends on who it is that you're talking to. I would say, you know, from an entrepreneurship perspective, or a networking perspective in general, you can ask the person, how can I support your business, right? Can I promote your business for you? Is there a, a, a certain type of role that you're hiring for right now that maybe I know somebody or, you know, anything like that, even from an outside of work perspective, right? Maybe you find out that they're, I don't know, looking for like a summer camp for their kids to go to, and you could reach out to someone and help them, like whatever, it can be The best way that you can provide value to somebody is by understanding what they value first, uh, I guess is what I would say. And so the more you can find out about during your conversation with them, the more that this answer becomes obvious on how you can provide value.
1: And in terms of you going from branch to the corporate office, what were some like, Environmental changes from the workplace that you've experienced? For example, again, like going back to the Apple example, what's the difference between working at the store where you interact with a lot of customers compared to like head office or corporate? Like, so, what was the environment change for you and how were you able to adapt?
0: Well, the first one, which I know probably everybody on earth, minus essential workers, experienced, was working from home <laughs> for the first little while. I actually joined head office as a full work from home during the pandemic lockdown time, actually and i didn't meet my team for at least a year so i think you know there was a lot of also proactivity in terms of getting to know them virtually it took some extra effort from a team building perspective i would say but in general the entire structure of my team was also different than i was used to so at the branch it was very hierarchical where you always reported to someone who reported to someone who reported to someone and if you needed anything To get done you knew you only had your manager to go to and then you had to wait for all the levels to get cleared you know before something got done over here at national office it's definitely more of a matrix structure so i for the first time ever was interacting directly with people that were at the vp level president level ceo level of different divisions of the bank and that was a little bit intimidating at first And there were definitely some lessons to be learned there, because as much as we hate to admit it, it exposed me to some corporate politics, I guess, not in a negative way, but just in a, like you said, environmental change kind of way, where I had to be a little bit more sensitive to where I am in the structure and, you know, being sensitive about sharing certain information or, you know, just communicating with people differently. So there was a little bit of that at play as well. So there was a bit of a learning curve there, but honestly I have to say in in my experience especially I had great people to help me through all of it, so it wasn't entirely scary, but definitely different than the branch environment.
1: In terms of like you working now at asset management in the head office, what are some like things that you could share in terms of advice for someone who's like just starting off like in a bank? As someone working in a branch or working like a retail aspect of the business, what's advice that you can give in terms of like helping them accelerate and move in the career Mm -hmm. ladder at that company?
0: So the biggest piece of advice that I would give is to not just accept that there's one path within the bank. And to anyone working in banking, they'll know exactly what I mean because when you start at the branch as a A financial advisor, then usually there's a typical path that you would follow. So maybe then you become a senior financial advisor, then you're a financial planner, then you become a assistant branch manager. And so there's this sort of path that you see everybody following. And one of the main catalysts for my career path was that I refused to accept that as the only way, because I knew that was not what was in the cards for me. I didn't want that. And that didn't mean that I had to leave the bank. And I think some people do because they're just not attracted to that path for themselves. So I sort of took my career in my own hands. And I would say that is advice that applies to anybody anywhere, because you have to actively and proactively think about what it is that you actually want and what are the proactive steps you have to take To get there. And there's a lot that you can do on your own. You don't have to rely on your manager to hold your hand through it, so to speak. Although I would recommend being open and honest with your manager about your career plans, because one of the lessons that I learned as well is that you're really not going to get very far without the support of your manager, because the first thing they're going to do when you apply for a role is call your manager. And if they don't know that you're applying for these head office roles, you know, it's just going to end very quickly. So, That's one piece of advice. And then the networking piece I have to say is huge. I consider this internal research, right? Just like I did all that research and anybody should, if you're applying externally to a role, do your internal research and follow through on the things that people advise you because they're speaking from experience. Most people probably have been where you are earlier in their career and they're 100% willing to pay it forward and to have a chat with you. Don't be scared or nervous to ask because they understand, right? And they want to help. So don't be afraid to take that leap of faith. And yeah, like I said, take your career journey into your own hands and make it happen.
1: The common theme that you've discussed throughout our discussion today is that your relationships is what helped you with your career, not the hard work. Like the hard work does play a part, but it's not the main focus. A lot of young professionals think that it's about the hard work and then they get frustrated when they're not getting those promotions, et cetera.
0: Yes, oh, absolutely. And I always knew that was important, but I think I only ever thought about it from a networking perspective before in terms of building relationships versus now I'm really learning over the last, I would say maybe three years or so that even the working relationship that you have with the people that are on your team and any stakeholders, let's say, if you're working on a project or your manager, if you show up excellently for them then they are going to show up for you if you ever need support or or anything like that. And I think when it comes to building good relationships, I think one of the things that I learned is you will get a lot further by working in a supportive way with your team and making them look good and making your boss look good than you are if you were to throw them all under the bus and try to make yourself look good. That is like... You know, you can only play that card once, I think, and then you're burning bridges and it's just not the way to go. And then nobody's going to like you and want to work with you. Right. So building those positive relationships and actually trying to hype them up more than you hype yourself up actually gets you a a whole lot further going forward. So, I mean, I could talk about that for a while, but 100 percent agree relationships uh, should be the focus uh, when it comes to thinking about your career.
1: As we are hitting close to the hour, I really appreciate your time, Gabby, for coming on my podcast to discuss your career journey. So I want to wrap up our conversation with one last question for you. As I stated earlier, my podcast about helping professionals overcome career challenges. So my question to you is like, throughout your whole career journey, what was one big challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today?
0: One of my biggest challenges, or the biggest challenge was, I think, my confidence, In myself because I didn't find it hard to work hard. I never really found it too hard to work with people and build good relationships, but actually believing in myself and taking the steps forward that I knew I had to take, but I felt like maybe I wasn't good enough yet, or I hadn't worked hard enough yet, or I wasn't educated enough yet to do that I think is what could have held me back and maybe did hold me back in the first little while. But I'm happy to say that I had people that helped me get past that. My manager at the branch was one of them because the first role that I actually applied for in national office, I remember reading the job posting and you know how there's the must-haves and then the nice-to-haves usually on a job posting? I had all of the must-haves and then I had all except for one of the nice-to-haves. And that one that I didn't have basically just said, has experience with this, specific website or has used this website before. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't apply. Like I don't check all the boxes. I've never seen this website before and I don't I haven't used it. So obviously I'm going to be, I can't do this job. And thinking back now, I'm so happy that I didn't let that stop me, but it almost did. Like I almost didn't apply. And I have to say that they've done a lot of studies now and shown that women are actually more susceptible to this than men for the most part. Unless they check 100% of the boxes, they won't apply for a job and and they kind of have that confidence piece hold them back. So lots of support from good people around me that helped me get past that and a lot of mindset changes that I had to work through over time. And I'm still not 100% done for sure, but definitely one that I've been working on over the last handful of years in my career.
1: And how can people reach out to you to learn more about your career journey and what you can do to help them? We discussed earlier that you do have a podcast yourself. I uh, so was don't you talk about more of like your endeavors and your business uh, ventures.
0: For sure, yeah. So my podcast, like I said earlier, is called Mindset Over Matter, and I also actually have a website called the where i'm just starting out but i'm hoping to do more professional coaching with folks to help them with exactly this type of stuff you know preparing for interviews and helping them with their job search and their career journeys and even business owners someday i would like to help them with that so the business is called the gooding group my podcast is called mindset over matter if you want to check it out
1: is it a new podcast by the way or it's been up for a while
0: It's relatively new, actually. Yeah, so I've only got uh, about a dozen episodes out, but I have to say I've got, I think probably the rest of the calendar year booked out with episodes and guests. So I'm super stoked about that. Uh, It's definitely gaining some momentum. So feel free to check it out. There's gonna be a lot of great stuff coming out.
1: Uh, And as a fellow podcaster, what made you decide to start a podcast?
0: That is such a great question. So what made me want to start a podcast was the fact that, I just felt like there were already in my short career, because I I recognize that I'm young and just kind of starting out, but there were so many great things that I've learned that I just wanted to share with people. And I I didn't want to necessarily just pester people that I work with and my my friends and family because they get to hear me rant about stuff enough. But I just thought, you know, this is stuff that has helped me so much. If I can just get it out there and maybe it'll help somebody else as well, or maybe somebody can relate. I really want to do that and at least feel like I've done my part and it's actually evolved a little bit from that already i'm really excited about the guests that are going to be coming on because the main thing that i want to hear from them too is exactly that what are the lessons that you wish you'd learned earlier in your life or that made the biggest difference for you in your life and i just want to get it out there so that other people can benefit as well
1: awesome i look forward to listening to maybe an episode or two and uh best of luck in growing that podcast and your business venture
0: awesome thanks very much max thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening.
1: And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time.